Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. We are starting a new series uh, this morning, uh, and it's one that's kind of been brewing uh, in me for quite a while, so I'm slightly nervous. Um, but also excited about what I've um, just sensed God wants to do over these next six weeks. Um, And so the series uh, is entitled, Things We Don't Talk About. And um, I guess just up front, I want to say that I recognize in saying, in talking about, um, or calling it things we don't talk about, there are things that we're not going to talk about because we don't, because that would just be like a year, I think, of doing the series. So we've got six weeks that we're going to do, and I'll, I'll go through the topics in a second. Um, but these are just uh, the topics that I felt like God was kind of asking us to do. So uh, I'm just going to say straight up one of the topics that we're not going to look at um, is homosexuality. Uh, That is primarily because, I like the photo, Um, that is primarily because um, we we really feel like the forum to deal with and to talk through uh, homosexuality is not necessarily from up here, but actually in the individual conversations and the one-on-one conversations. Um, And so... uh, If there's a topic that you think, why aren't you talking about that? It's not because we're not happy to talk about it. It's just because it might be another forum we'd want to do that in, um, or we just didn't have time to do it. So if you would like to talk to us about some of those things, we are open and we are up for the conversation. And we want to invite that conversation. And we know that lots of you have come and spoken to us about uh, those things. Um, So I just wanted to get that one out the way. Um, the reason, I guess, for the series is because uh, I've been struck, and in my own journey, but also as I've chatted with people, that, you know, it's really tough to have hard conversations. It's really tough to talk about the hard things, isn't it? Like, we'd all much rather talk about the fun and exciting things and the good things. But the fact is, we all have life going on, and we all have things that come up and things that happen to us or the things that we do, that, that is really hard. And it requires vulnerability and openness to, um, to talk about and share these things. And, and I know for many of us, our heart is that church would be that place, that place where we, we can come and we can have the tough conversations. And I know for some of you, that hasn't been the experience. Um, and, and that's really sad, and I don't think the heart of Jesus. And so, um, as we kick into this series, I also want to say that we realize that the things that we're talking about are complex and deeply personal. So we're not standing up here saying, we have all the answers. We're not standing up here saying, you know, we've got it all sorted, and so A, B, C, here it is. What we're wanting to do is to invite conversation. We want to invite openness and a platform and a place where people can come and talk about these things. 
Um, we've also asked the life groups to follow along with the series. Uh, and the heart behind that is that if something pushes on you or presses on you on a Sunday, that you would be able to go back to your life group and share sort of what's going on. And, and so in that journey with people in some of these things. Uh, again, I want to say it's not because we have all the answers. Our heart would be that you would find the resources that you need and we could help you find the resources that you need uh, to walk this through. So for some, it might be going to your GP. It might be finding a counsellor, psychologist. Um, it might be finding a mentor. It might be... Um, just catching up with a few people to do that specific journey together. Uh, we've also got a few resources that we've very specifically put together, uh, well not put together, but connected with. So one is the piecewise training. If you've been here for a while, you know that um, as a church, we're really passionate about doing conflict well. And, and so how do we deal with conflict? Interesting, Michelle, that was your census more next. How do we do that well? And so we've connected with an organization called Peacewise, and they are passionate about showing, uh, teaching how to do biblical conflict resolution. And so I would love to encourage you that if that's what you need, that you would go to their website and you would see where their next course is and go to that. We also have a ministry called Set Free here, which is a great opportunity um, to receive some teaching and intentional prayer ministry. Uh, on things because sometimes you know you do all the steps that you need to do with something and you kind of hit a brick wall and you keep hitting a brick wall and actually what's needed is um, the, the Holy Spirit to come and break down some things and break down the walls and bring restoration so set free is is a great ministry we want to encourage you as things come up that might be something that you need to do and then um, Let's just quickly look at the topics. I think, oh, sorry, I have the slide. <laughs> These are the topics that we're going to look at. We're going to kick off with shame this morning, and then we're going to look at sex, addictions, loneliness, anger, and ending well. Ending well in the sense of ending um, as, you know, as we come to the end of our lives, but also as we end a job or end a season in our lives. How do we do that well? Um, and so I'm conscious, we're conscious as well in doing this, that this is what we're going to be talking about as, uh, as adults. But for a lot of us, we have kids as well that we want to help with some of these things and, um, and in, some way, in some ways get ahead of the game with our kids. Because for some of us, you know, we know we've kind of later on in life we're dealing with these things. Um, and that can be, you know, that's hard. And so we want to kind of try and nip it in the bud, some of it, not that we'll be able to do all of that. And so we're going to be um, do, uh, having a workshop, which is Raising Resilient Kids in a Digital Era, by um, a lady called Colette Smart. She's a psychologist. She's come to Northridge. She's a wonderful lady, really deeply passionate about helping parents and kids navigate... Oh. Not yet navigate uh, the digital world and all that that brings um, to us and in our lives. And sorry, so that's on the 4th of September, just to let you, just to let you know. Okay, how are we going? We're going okay. Whew, got that out the way. 
Let's pray and then we'll kick in to the topic for this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are passionate about seeing us walk in freedom and walk in who you created us to be. We thank you that you love us and thank you that you don't expect us just to do this on our own, but that you walk this journey with us. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that as I share this morning, I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to hearts, Lord, that you would bring your freedom, that you would bring your healing where it's needed. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've had a few people sort of ask me why, why has this series been on your heart? You know, why, why look at this? And um, the best thing I could, uh, well, not the best thing, I kind of asked the Lord, how do I express this? And he reminded me of a story. Um, and so I'll deal with the picture on the left later, but this picture on the right is, um, that's Rob's family, some of Rob's family and myself. Uh, when, uh, when I was pregnant with Abby, uh, we went and spent New Year's up um, in the UK. So we were in the, in the UK at this point, and we went and spent uh, New Year's with Rob's family, which was much further up north, I can't, Lake District, that's right. And uh, Rob's got two brothers, and one of his brothers is like super outdoorsy, um, you know, loves to do all the outdoor stuff. And to be honest, having come from South Africa, I'm a little bit of a fair weather outdoor girl. Like even, even with the cold snap now, I'm like, man, it's like under 15 degrees, I want to be under a duvet, in front of the TV or the fire. With a, I love doing exercise, but I'm a little bit of a, and being outdoors, but I'm a little bit of a fair weather girl. Anyway, so imagine going to the UK where if you don't do it in the cold weather, you won't do it at all. Um, and so Rob's family was like super, every time we got together we would go out for walks with 600 layers on and, um, and so, you know, I was slowly getting used to this. Anyway, you know, January in the UK is freezing, we were trying to figure out what to do and so we decided as a family we'd either go abseiling or caving. Anyway. I was like, oh, abseiling, totally fine with, caving, not on your life. But I didn't really verbalize that. But because I was pregnant and it was our first baby and we were just really, really, really nervous, um, Rob and I were like, I, you shouldn't probably go abseiling. Okay, you know you're right, I probably shouldn't go abseiling. So uh, a few of the crew went up, including Rob, abseiling. And the rest of us, along with all the children, uh, went walking in the caves. And so we were walking, like this was as we entered, and um, I'm, I'm claustrophobic. Like small spaces, even if I think of them in my head, I start to hyperventilate. And so I could feel this kind of anxiety building, but I'm like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to motor on and trudge on like everyone else. And so we kind of go through the first one, which is short, so you can see the light at the end. And we walk through it, and that's fine. And then we come to the next one, which is the big, long one, where you can't see anything. It's literally just pitch black. There's nothing pretty much like that. And um, at this point, I have one of my nieces 
who's starting to get really anxious. And she's expressing it. And she's saying, I'm really scared, I'm blah, blah, blah. And so the family are coming around her and going, it's okay, you know, they'll be like, I will walk with you, I'll hold, you know, I'll hold your hand. And, they, and they're kind of engaging with her. And I'm feeling it welling up inside of me. And I'm going, well, I'm not going to be a child. I'm just, I'm just going to be an adult about this. And so um, they're kind of helping her, and we're walking in. And as I'm walking in, I'm feeling it rising and rising and rising to the point where I literally couldn't breathe or speak, do anything. And so I just said, I'm going back, and turned around and walked out. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure how long it was. I think, you know, these kind of situations, it always feels like you know, hours when it was like three seconds. But I kind of said, I'm going back, walked out, and that's this, I just walked out into an area that was like this, like that. I was just walked into this middle and there was just rock everywhere. And I suddenly realized, I don't know where I am. I don't even know how to get, I don't even know where to go. I don't know how to get back. And I just flat out panic. And, I, and I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And so I eventually turn around. Um, and at this point, uh, one of Rob's brothers who came with us, I think had kind of realized something wasn't quite right. And so he, he came to find me. Um, and he, he was just beautiful. And I, you know, expressed to him what was going on very uh, briefly. And he put his arm around me, and he said, don't worry, we can get through this. I'm just going to talk with you and talk to you as we go. I know you can't see the light at the moment, but just breathe, just breathe really slowly. And by this time, we'd walked into the cave. And he's like, um, just, just listen to my voice. He asked a couple of questions, and he walked, and um, he said, oh, can you see over there? There's a bit of light. And I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, we can, you know, let's keep walking. It's going to get bigger and bigger. And anyway, and then we finally got to the other side. And um, over the years, as I've thought about that story, I have felt really shameful about my behavior, I realize. Just really embarrassed and just like, oh, my God, my gosh, you know, a whole heap of shame. And I realized that because of the shame that I felt at that point, it made me not ask for help. It made me just want to be on my own, in my own little isolated space, which, can I say, was actually more terrifying, I realized. And so, um, and so the Lord started to speak to me about how important it is to share these things and to talk about these things and to do this journey with him and together with others. Because it can feel quite alone, and particularly when we're feeling really anxious or stressed about something, it's very hard to find the most accurate and truthful perspective on what's going on. And so it's asking, you know, it's having people around you and having the Lord so that he can help and they can help with that perspective. 
I just realized in that moment how passionate God is about bringing things to light. Not to embarrass us, not to expose us, but because he knows that true freedom can only be walked out when things that are hidden in us are exposed and are brought to light. And his light always brings freedom. Even if it's a long journey, it always brings freedom. So um, you might be asking shame, okay, some of you might have a grid for what shame is. Some of you might be thinking, oh, that's kind of that vague word that I hear sometimes that I kind of know a sense of, but, but what is it really? And so um, the top one is the, is the sort of official dictionary definition, uh, which is the painful feeling of humiliation caused by the consciousness of doing wrong or foolish behaviour. Um, and I would add, so the brackets is me adding, not only that behaviour that we've done, but that's been done to us. So sometimes somebody can do something to us and we can feel the shame and bear the shame of that. I've been listening to and reading through um, a few of Brené Brown's books and, um, and her TED Talks. And I, I love, because she's quite practical and she's quite articulate in what she says um, in explaining things, she says that shame is the feeling that washes over us, makes us feel so flawed that we question whether we're worthy of love, belonging and connection. And I think each of us, to varying degrees, have probably felt that. I think some of us feel it in kind of smaller ways. Um, some of us have felt it in really huge, debilitating ways. But I realise that that those feelings can really dictate how we behave and where we go and who we go to. Because, you know, shame is the thing that says to us, I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm a mistake. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. It's very different to, oh my gosh, I made that mistake. I know I need to change that. It's very much about our identity and about uh, getting into the heart of what's going on. So I guess part of the question is, um, or certainly one of the questions I was asking is, is kind of what does shame do? How do, we, how do we, I guess, recognize it? How do we see it? Like, what behaviors does it bring out in us? And, you know, there's lots of others as well, but I think these were the three that um, really jumped out to me. So shame causes us to hide. You know, um, uh, when, I was, when I was a little kid, there was a, there was a real sense of shame in our family about weight and about eating and food and all that. And so um, I actually picked up uh, the habit of stealing sweets. So um, I used to, and I think my parents used to hide them because they knew that, you know, they didn't want us to eat too many. And so I used to just steal and sneak to the point where when Rob and I got married, um, I used to always eat 
junk, like junk food in the cupboard. So you know when you open up the cupboard like that? I always used to eat it like that, which is silly. It's my cupboard. I bought it. I bought the food in it. But there was such an intense sense of shame around eating a sweet or some, something that wasn't healthy. And it had become so ingrained in who I, who I was. And I'd learned to hide it, even when it was okay. I didn't, I didn't quite have that grid. And, I, and so I realized that there's things hidden in our lives and they're hidden because there's shame there. We think if people knew this about us, dot, dot, dot. If people realized I did this, dot, dot, dot. And so, and so what shame does is it drives those things even deeper. Pornography, our sexual history, affairs, loss of a job, unemployment, Maybe going back to smoking, you know, you stop something and going back again, falling off the wagon, bankruptcy. There's a shame that comes up with these things. And as the shame comes and builds, and when that's the predominant emotion, feeling and thing that's going on, we just dig it deeper and deeper and deeper. And so shame causes us to hide. Shame can also cause us to blame. You know, it's very easy to point the fingers and to blame and to make everyone else responsible for what's going on because then we don't have to deal with the issue. And so shame causes us to blame. It builds up and then the bitterness and the anger, the revenge that builds up inside of us. It's not only blaming others, it's blaming ourselves. We blame ourselves and that's quite debilitating. That freeze, that can freeze us. It can implode internally. We can implode. The thing is, blame doesn't bring freedom. Blame just kind of shunts the responsibility back and forth. That's where you spend your energy, is where am I putting the responsibility for this? And so you get caught in a loop, and shame continues that loop. Shame also causes us to become a slave. Often with shame, there are feelings of quite painful feelings. And so, you know, living in the West as we do, as soon as there's any pain, grab the neurofen, grab the panel. You know, we, we are pain adverse. And so we try to medicate. And so we medicate in all sorts of different ways. Food, sex, anger, drink, drugs. And the more we medicate with these things, it leads into addictions, and then that completely enslaves us, and we have no control. And again, it just drives the shame. Drives it and drives it and drives it, and so it becomes a cycle again, where we're going round and round and round in circles. It can come out in um, us not taking a lot of risks, and so we become a slave to just always keeping safe. I know there's an element of wisdom in this, but I'm, I hope you hear me talking about the extreme of this. 
and perfectionism. Everything has to be in this way because what will others think? That's shame. You know, I um, I love Jesus. You'll be happy to hear. I love Jesus. I love the Bible. Because the thing about the Bible is that it's so real and so raw with things that people have gone through. And shame is all the way through Scripture. Because we're human and we do silly things and we have silly things done to us. Well, not silly things, but hard things done to us. And so all the way through Scripture, we see the stories of, sh- of, of shame and how God responds to the shame. And so I just want to pick up uh, just three stories uh, because I feel like the Lord wanted to speak in, into that and speak into a few very specific things this morning. So I've put the, um, the, the references the um, scriptural references up there so you can have a look at them. I'm not actually going to go to them this morning. But I would really encourage you to read through each of those stories. So the first story is um, Jesus is uh, walking. He's with, his, with a whole lot of people following him. Jesus always had crowds following him. And um, a synagogue leader has come to him and said, my, my daughter is sick. Could you please come and heal her? And so he's walking to the house to do that, and there's the massive crowd following him. And as he's walking, he, the scripture says he, he feels that somebody's touched him and the power's gone out. And so Peter, we love Peter, don't we? He's always the one who says, he's like, Jesus, okay, so Jesus goes, who touched me? And Peter goes, are you kidding me? There's like hundreds of people around here. Every, like... Who touched you? Like, we're all like really squashed in. Like, lots of people touched you. And Jesus goes, No, no, no. Who touched me? And so the, the crowd slowly parts, and this, this woman comes up to Jesus and she said, it, it was me. She said, I've been bleeding for 12 years, and as soon as I touched you, the bleeding stopped. And, um, There's many different things you can take out of that story, but as I was reading that story, the thing that really struck me is that in the midst of hundreds of people following Jesus, hundreds of people close to him and pushing up against him, he saw the one. He saw the one and he knew the one. And so whatever story you have this morning, Jesus knows you. With all the hundreds of people that are following him and that are walking alongside him. He knows you. He sees you. He loves you. He's passionate about your story. It doesn't matter what other people think. She was really shamed. It's what Jesus sees and what he thinks. Um, The second story in John 8 is uh, the story about the woman caught in adultery. And so Jesus is, um, is at the temple and basically a group of religious leaders are trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to get him to say something that um, they can then arrest him on um, or that the crowd would just want to stone him because 
uh, they don't like what he's saying. And so he, uh, so they bring a woman to him in the middle of this, the, the, this court who has been caught in the act of adultery. It does beg the question, where's the, do, where's the guy? But she's brought in, and so she stands in the midst of all, all her accusers. And um, if you've heard, read the story or whatever, they make all these accusations, and they ask Jesus, what are you going to do, what are you going to do? And he kind of just gets down, and he writes in the sand. We don't know what he's written. Everyone, you know, lots of scholars have wondered what he might have written. But he stands up again, and he, he speaks to them, and then he goes back down again on his knees. Now, I've read the story quite a few times and, you know, different things have sort of struck me. But when I, when I read the story this time in the context of this story, what really struck me is that, you know, here is this woman caught in shame and she's standing, I imagine, incredibly embarrassed, incredibly shameful, standing with all these accusers around her. And she's probably feeling like, really, like, just completely got at. She's probably feeling really unworthy, unloved. And, um, you know, Jesus doesn't stand with the accusers. So the thing that really struck me is that he bent down. He bent down, which showed a humble stance with her which for men and women in that day, in that context, in the fact that she had committed adultery would have just been a complete no-no. But he gets down. He gets down and he, he, hum- he almost humbles himself alongside her. And the thing that I felt like the Lord wanted to say is that when you're standing there and your accuser or accusers are pointing fingers at you and they're saying those things about you, that, that, that aren't true or maybe are true, Jesus doesn't stand there with them going, hmm, I don't quite feel the same, but hmm, I'm going to stand here anyway. He actually gets down, he goes down on one knee, and he's like, I'm with you in this. I'm with you, I'm here. He is in the midst, in the midst of the stuff that we're going through. And that's where he wants us to invite him into is into the midst of that because that is where the healing and the freedom comes. And then the last story um, is one of, well, I have lots of favorite stories, so I won't say one of my favorite, but I really enjoy it because it's about Peter and I really love Peter because I feel like I'm a little bit like foot in the mouth every now and then and I feel right at home with Peter. But this particular story is about Peter after Jesus has, has died. And um, so if, if you know the story at all, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, followed him, loved him, learnt unto him. And when Jesus went to the cross to die, he was standing with a whole lot of other people who basically said, oh, you were with, you were with Jesus, weren't you? You, you kind of knew him. And he went, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen that man before. And he did it three times. So in the, in the deepest, darkest moment for Jesus, Peter ran away and was like, I'm not with him. And so Jesus died. He's risen. He, um, 
where he's going to rise again, but Peter doesn't quite know that yet. And so you can imagine the shame that Peter feels. That shame that he feels of, oh, what did I do? Jesus had even said to him, you're going to betray me. And he said, you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Absolutely not. I will never do that. And so he has this intense sense of shame. Jesus comes, arrives from the dead, comes to meet them on the beach, calls Peter. Peter sees him. He is like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And as they're on the beach, Jesus says to him three times, do you love me? Peter's like, yes, of course I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, of course. And then he actually gets really irritated with Jesus. He's like, yes, you know that I love you. Why? And, it's, and the reason that Jesus does it three times is to reinstate Peter's identity. So who, um, so earlier on, Jesus had said to Peter, your name is Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. You are going to be key to building the church. And Peter had forgotten that. He'd gone back to fishing. He'd thought, no, this is never going to happen. And so Jesus calls out his identity and he says, even though you betrayed me, even though you walked away from me, even though you did these things, I still see who you are and I'm still going to call you into that. And so I just felt for some of us, we feel like maybe we've disqualified ourselves. And the shame of what's happened means that we've disqualified ourselves for what God has for us or what he's spoken to us. And I just felt that sense that God wants to say, no, I'm reinstating you. That's part of, as we give the shame to the Lord, that's part of what he does, is he reinstates us. Oh, you guys have done really well. Why don't we stand together? Stop doing it. Can we turn off the heating? So we're just going to spend, we've got about 10 minutes now, we're just going to spend some time just waiting on the Lord seeing what he uh, wants to say to us. I want to encourage you that if um, anything that's been said this morning has pushed on something for you, I'd love you to take the opportunity at some point um, to get prayer. But the reason why we, we started with shame is because as we talk through some of these other topics, often the very first blocker that we have or blockage that we have to even dealing with these things or even thinking about these things is the shame we feel about them. And I really believe that the Lord wants to see us walk in freedom that he has for us. And so we want to take away and we want to, we want to work through and give to him any, any blockages that would stop us doing that. So why don't we uh, just wait? Just uh, let's be in quiet for a little while. Maybe ask the Lord, have a chat with the Lord if there are things that you sense. Just start talking to him about them.
So Lord, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you are passionate about us and about freedom and about us being who you created us to be. Just pray you would come and minister now. Come and speak into those places.